and a very warm welcome to a joint TXF and Proximo podcast. My name is Thomas Hopkins and I am Deputy Editor of Proximo. As sister publications within the Exile Group, TXF and Proximo are leading sources of news and data for their respective industries. TXF provides coverage of the export and commodity finance markets, while Proximo focuses on project finance, energy and infrastructure. My co-host today is Catherine Morton, who is Head of Trade, Treasury and Risk at TXF. Together, we will be speaking to Dan Van Alem, Senior Project Finance Manager at Northland Power. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks, Tom. Um, we've got two very interesting offshore wind projects to discuss that have recently closed, one in Poland and one off the coast of Taiwan. They're both record-breaking non-recourse financings using multiple export credit agencies, international and domestic banks and multilateral development agencies. But one major thing they have in common is Northland Power and our guest Dan Van Arlem. So Dan, welcome. You've been a, a poacher and a gamekeeper. Can you give us a, a quick picture of your professional background before we kick off? Thanks for the introduction, uh, Thomas and Catherine. Yeah. So I've been uh, with Nordland for over two years. I'm currently a project finance director, primarily covering Asia recently. And prior to Nordland, I've worked in energy financing at various banks for about nine years, uh, most recently at, uh, at SNBC. So that, thanks very much. So congratulations on your recent raisings for Baltic Power and Hylong. Um, maybe you can talk us through the gestation, mainly how you've worked on these deals um, with what must have been so many working parts, moving parts. Yeah, correct. Yeah, it was quite interesting that eventually they closed uh, within about 10 days away from each other uh, last September, even though we had been working on them for quite some years. Because the uh, how long we've been working on since 2016 when we signed a partnership agreement with Yushan. And the uh, Baltic Power Project in Poland, we've been working on that already since uh, 2020 when we signed a partnership with Piki and Orlin. And from our perspective, it's, they're both incredibly large deals. Uh, they total more than 10 billion Canadian dollar and both have quite some first for the financing community. Baltic Power will be the first offshore wind park in Poland that reaches financial close, uh, which meant that lenders had to familiarize themselves with with the new regulatory regime in Poland, for instance. And Hailong, um, in, in Taiwan, there was already a track record of offshore wind, but Hailong is the largest one to date. And we managed to close that one against the background of challenges in Taiwan uh, with respect to construction on other uh, wind parks. And of course, a, a slightly challenging uh, geopolitical background. But we are very happy that we managed to close such large financings. Uh, regardless of those challenges. Thanks very much, Dan. And as you point out, these are absolutely uh, enormous financings with you know a whole different spectrum of different lenders from commercial banks to export credit agencies and multilaterals. I mean, you had seven ECAs on high long and you had uh, multilaterals like the EBRD um, on Baltic Power. I mean, how has the collaboration on fundraising been achieved and how has it worked with the sort of, you know, dealing with the ECAs and, and the multilaterals? Thanks, Thomas. So... Um, it, it has been a very good collaboration, part of the because Nordland has worked with many of these agencies before. I think one challenge that we had with dealing with this group was simply um, the time zones. We had ECA stretching 
from Australia to Canada, some in Europe and some in Asia. So that was challenging dealing with multiple time zones. There were always people that had to stay up very late or get up very early. But what was nice that this was one of the first large deals for us that closed after COVID. And that meant that we could have in-person meetings again. And that meant that we, for instance, on Long, either met in, in Tokyo, Singapore or London for in-person meetings with all um, ECAs that were involved. And that meant, that really helped to, to reach agreement on, on all the key terms and to make sure that we didn't get stuck on certain topics. And for the rest, yeah, it was important to basically involve them as early as possible. We reached out to various ECAs basically as soon as we had fuel on the sourcing plan for these projects, because obviously that determines which ECAs and which multilaterals we can generally involve. And that then means that they can provide feedback as we go along and as the project forms. And that helps to come to a bankable project together. Um, and what you see on, on both deals is that with so many ECAs and multilaterals roles involved, you get a very uh, in-depth level of due diligence. I think certainly on Hailong because of the challenges on other wind parks, the, the depth of due diligence was, was unprecedented, I would say. But all in all, it was really a true pleasure working with them. I, they have displayed a deep understanding of the sector and have been very solution-oriented generally. That's interesting. I mean, many many have been describing these deals as, as precedent setting for ECA finance itself, like the largest non-recourse offshore wind deal in Asia, for instance. Um, but how do you categorize it from Northland Power's perspective? Now, for Northland, um, Hailong was, for instance, the first Asian offshore wind farm that closed. So that um, basically sets the scene for further uh, projects we are developing in Asia. Uh, it was also the first offshore uh, wind financing based on a corporate PPA in Asia. So that was also um, a big first. And generally, Poland was was the first financing for offshore wind that closed there. What is important for us for the rest is that we added a lot of new banking relationships, which means uh, we are well positioned to um, develop further projects in the region and uh, obtain financing for those as well. And Don, um, how has it been working with quite so many banks across these two deals? Now, first of all, we were very glad that the projects attract interest from such a large banking group, uh, which means that basically the banking, the financing community recognizes uh, Nordland's expertise and track record. Um, it is worth mentioning that the local banks played a very important role, both in, in Taiwan and in Poland. And it's worth noting that some of those were relatively new to offshore wind. So we, we basically spend a lot of time prior to financial close, um, basically up to two years developing those relationships. And that really made a difference. When you look at the international banks, obviously we generally had a relationship with them already at the corporate level. So that generally helps to smooth the, the process a lot. And generally, just to give you the background, Nordland has project finance managers like myself in every continent. So we maintain those bank relationships all year round, also when there's no live project financing. And that really helps uh, to get the financing done when you need the banks. Yeah, when you need so much money. I mean, maybe a bit more specifically, what, what was coordination like with, for instance, Mitsui on High Long and Orland on Baltic Power? Yeah, so generally um, with Nordland, 
having the offshore wind experience. You see Nordland taking the lead role during development and during constructions as well as operations. But having said that, our partners play an important role. For instance, if we look at Baltic Power, um, Piki and Orland is obviously partly state-owned, which means it, it has an important role to play when it comes to government relationships and stakeholder relations. And if we look at Hailong, uh, where we dealt with, with Mitsui, Mitsui as a large Japanese trading house has a very large uh, banking group uh, and a strong relationship with the Japanese ECAs. And Mitsui also already had a long-standing history of working in Japan, so uh, sorry, in Taiwan. So they already had uh, government relationships there, which was, all, which was also very helpful. Um, but generally, or for instance, if we look at, at Hailong, and if we look at how the banks looked at the sponsor group, we noted that the control by Nordland was considered an important point as banks do want an experienced partner uh, to, lead, uh, to lead the project. But all in all, on both projects, it has been an incredibly good cooperation. Uh, we have the same goals to, to ensure basically that the projects are, are successful and the strong relationship from sponsors basically goes all the way down to the project where, where we have um, representatives from both sponsors at the project level. And there, the working relationship was also incredibly good, which is very important uh, because you come together with a whole group of sometimes new people that are not familiar with each other. You have to find a way to work it out. And that went very well on both projects. And just thinking about the success of those projects done, I mean, how have you managed to raise so much kind of successfully in the face of some concerns such as those raised in Fitch Ratings report in June where other companies have, have failed? That comes back basically to what I said earlier. Um, it's it's partly the, the track record that Nordland has and the existing relationships we have with the banks, but it also results from uh, involving all those banks early in the process and making sure that we, we get their feedback early on uh, and that we potentially, where necessary, take that into account in structuring the project. And, and you see that in in the nature of the contracts we conclude, which are primarily fixed price, the type of suppliers we choose, which are generally of a good credit standing and, and have a strong track record. And we do all of that to also make sure that there's appetite within the, in the banking community. And this was, I think, particularly relevant in Taiwan, where the banks um, had concerns as a result of cost overruns and delays on the Yulin project. So we spend a lot of time to convince those banks and to show them how we basically structured the project with the benefit of hindsight, basically, and also to make sure that we minimize the risks that um, arose on other projects. And if you look at what we did in Ilong, we, we, for instance, did in-depth geotechnical work. Uh, we used jackets instead of monopiles. We had a very conservative construction schedule and we secured the vessels uh, for the works longer than they were actually necessary for. And with that, with the due diligence that that confirms that you, uh, the banks eventually gain enough comfort to, to see that the project is tailored to address the risks that, um, that arose elsewhere in Taiwan. That's, that's interesting. It's interesting to get into the weeds a little bit there, but um, 
Let's do that a little bit on the finance side. Can you maybe walk us through the offsetting of risk and reward in, in both deals? Um, I note you've sold 40% of your ownership interest in High Long to Petronas's Gentari International Renewables. Yeah, so the transaction with Gentari has not closed yet. We are in the final stages of uh, finalizing that. Um, that's part of Nordland's partnership strategy. That's something we've announced uh, last year, I believe. And that, that partnership strategy is done to be able, to basically enable us to complete our entire pipeline uh, as a way to manage these large capital requirements that stem from these large offshore wind projects. And basically, if you look at risk and reward, uh, on the risk side, um, because we use project finance on a non-recourse basis, um, a lot of the risk reward is locked in. So there's little exposure, for instance, to interest rate risks and foreign exchange. Those are largely, largely hedged. And if you look at construction contracts, these are generally fixed priced and have built in uh, contingencies to cover off any potential risks. And we also seek to basically push down some of the key risks, such as weather risk, uh, to our contractors. And so that basically follows the regular project finance principles, due to which um, a lot of the risk rewards locked in. No, that sounds interesting. Now, are there any aspects of the projects that is still keeping you up at night, such as like input cost inflation? Now, if we look at offshore wind markets in general, uh, it's quite clear that the macro market conditions are very challenging for the offshore wind sector this year uh, with high interest rates, high uh, cost inflation, supply chain uh, constraints. That means that some other projects have been reassessing their viability, and you saw that reflected in all the headlines over the last few months. You also see it reflected in the share price of, uh, of the various renewable energy players. Um, the good thing for us is that we have now locked down our construction cost in the in basically all the contracts that we have, as I just explained. Generally, there's, or so in some case, there's some very minor exposure to steel prices, for instance, but that's all very minor. And that means that so far, there's, for instance, no exposure to uh, to cost, cost input inflation, like you just mentioned. But yeah, both projects are currently in construction. So we are doing our best to execute it to the best we can and to get the results that we got on our uh, prior wind parks, which we generally managed to construct on time and within budget. Thanks very much, Dan. I understand that there are more projects to come in Korea, for instance. Um, are there any projects you can highlight for us? Yes, of course. Yeah, firstly, I think given our recent financial close announcements on Baltic Power Island, which we just talked about, but as well as Oneida, I think our key focus over the next two to three years will be centered on project execution. Uh, just making sure that we complete our projects on time and within budget, like I just said. And we also remain quite disciplined in, in considering new projects and consider to us, uh, assess our existing pipeline. But we do have some exciting projects coming up. For instance, in Korea, we have a three gigawatt pipeline. We have secured two electricity business licenses already um, for half of the projects. But having said that, financial close is quite far away, I believe around 2027. And then also in, in Scotland, we have Scotwind, where we were awarded over two gigawatts. Um, 
for projects with fixed and floating foundations. Uh, and there was some news recently that we added a partner, ESB, that's an Irish energy company, for about 24.5%. So that's also early days, various years away, but the team has been advancing that as well. Um, similar to when we started on High Long around eight years ago. So we trust that will uh, develop into um, an actual project as well. Thank you very much, Dan. I'm very sorry to say that I think that's all we're going to have time for today. But uh, thank you once again for joining me and Catherine on the podcast. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Yes, it was very interesting to discuss all the fantastic work that Northland's been doing. And before we end, I would just like to remind listeners that submissions for TXF and Proximo's Deal of the Year awards are now open. So please do submit your deals for consideration. Further information can be found on the TXF and Proximo websites. Thanks again to everyone for listening and goodbye for now.